Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Mind your business only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. You're with Breakfast with Lindley and Ryan. Ryan, if you were to make a career switch today, what would you do? I would imagine it would have to be something that brings me a lot of money. <laughs> and of course, something that is in the sweet spot of being in what I love to do and what I can do. So it's got to be in the middle of all that. All right. Um, for myself, I think it would be something that would allow me to make better use of my time, like be more flexible with my time, I suppose. So I guess time is a higher priority for you. That's so. right. On hindsight, yes. Uh, okay. So well, our <laughs> C-suite guest today is a former lawyer. So he's really someone who knows how valuable time is. That's right. He decided to call it quits after two and a half years in the legal profession. Went into a totally different industry. Guess what? Which one? Well, it's got probably something to do with his interest, I imagine. <laughs> That's right. Real estate. Real estate, not in a sales capacity, but in management. I know you have many questions now, so let's dive right in and ask him. He's seated in our studio with us, Kevin Couple, Managing Director for Knight Frank Asia Pacific. Kevin, welcome to the show this morning. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Kevin, it's great having you here. And we talked about how you started from the courtroom and worked your way up to the corner office. So it's quite a big change, no? Let's start first with why... You decided to make that career switch from law to a different industry altogether. Where was the aha moment for you? Uh, the aha moment for me was uh, actually working on a transaction for a Japanese client that was acquiring a mining business in Australia. And I was working on the legal team and there was the investment banking team and the management consulting team working with the client. And they were in there for the initial meetings. Then they went off and had uh, various business meetings with the clients. And we as the lawyers were busy drafting all the documents all night. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I need to be closer to the decision making and not in an advisory capacity. And that's when I, I really realised that the law wasn't for me and I wanted to get closer to where management decisions were actually made. All right, you end up being in the steering seat, so to speak. Yes, yes, exactly. Talk us through that transition. What was the journey like in the beginning, especially? It actually wasn't that difficult. A, a law firm like a property business is a professional services environment. Mm -hmm. So actually, there's a lot of things in common mm -hmm. in terms of the way the businesses work. I had always been interested in my role as a law firm in understanding how the law firm work. I, I often used to ask the partners, you know, do we know how we make money and and often they um, didn't have a clear answer. Um, so from a sort of cultural point of view, it wasn't that different. The, the thing I would say with property people is that they're very practical and they get on with things. So yes, we, we might um, agree or disagree on something, but that would be relatively short. Um, and then we would get on with the next opportunity and look for more transactions and deals that we could generate. Whereas lawyers did tend to focus uh, on issues for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. I can recall when I left working at the law firm, people still reminded me about things that had happened a couple of years ago. Yeah, Kevin, I imagine there was something about law that made you want to go into it in the first place. What was it that made you start a journey into law? Well, when I was studying at university, it was the, um, it was the late 80s and um, there was a lot of uh, excess and possibly bad behaviour judged by today's standards. And certainly <laughs> my, my father said to me, you really need to go and, and learn to behave like a professional. So he very much encouraged me to go into law. Now, since you're in management, what is your outlook for the real estate industry this year? 
Well, just listening to the comments earlier on, uh, on on what's happening in banking, I think the next six months could be fairly challenging with the macroeconomic issues going on, with inflation, with higher interest rates, with uh, with energy prices now, with concerns around the banking system. I think that people will be a little bit cautious, but hopefully when there's a sense that things have stabilised, there's certainly a lot of capital out there and I, and I think that people will start to look for transaction opportunities. However, I personally, I think there's actually quite a long way to go in interest rate movements. I think with unemployment at 4%, it's going to be very hard for the central banks to start softening their stance on interest rates. Yeah, I can't help but think about it, right? You mentioned transactions and how the environment is so uncertain these days. It's usually the lawyers that make money in these type of deals. <laughs> um, Yes, they do. Certain lawyers and, and frankly, real estate uh, <laughs> agents do better when things are happening. Um, the worst types of markets for all of us are when nothing's going on. But uh, yes, uh, but real estate agents also do well when things are going up or going down. They say leaders are usually readers. Do you have a favourite author or book? Well, I have to say that um, as I've gone on in this role, I've mm-hmm. probably read less. I tend to graze more uh, in terms of things that I, I read. So I read a lot of publications um, like The Economist or, or, or Nikkei Asia and, and those sorts of things. I do um, read a bit of work from Professor Yuval Noah Hariri, who looks at a lot of sort of cultural things away around anthropology and the way that societies develop. I find that very interesting. But I have to be honest and say that I'm not a big reader of management texts. I find them not very inspiring. Mm. All right, for someone who's trying to follow in your footsteps, I imagine they'll be trying to figure out how do I follow in your path? How do I go down what you've been through? And in this sense, I think it would be useful for you to share what inspired you, who inspired you, what are some inspirations you drew along the way to get to where you are right now? Because it's not an easy climb going all the way to the corner office. You have to figure out how to balance the books. You have to figure out how to get buy-in from shareholders and stakeholders as well. What were some of the inspirations you drew? Who did you draw it from? Look, I think the inspirations have evolved over time. So certainly when I was in more junior roles, the people I worked with immediately, my supervisors, my partners, they certainly inspired me to do better and, and frankly to work harder and try and achieve more. And then as I've got myself into a more more senior role. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, it's actually the people we work with. I feel the the weight of the responsibility for all the people we have. We have at Night Frank we have 10,000 people across mm-hmm. the Asia-Pacific wow. region in about 150 offices. So if you say on average there's three to four people in each family, there's 30 or 40,000 people that to an extent depend on the decisions that we make. And that inspires me to work hard and to try and make the right decisions. I think you pointed so, out as well that so many people in Night Frank, you have to adapt to how you react to them, how mm-hmm. you mentor them as well. So how have people evolved in the way that your own leadership style has to evolve? How do you draw the lessons from your past experience to apply to what you are doing today? There's probably two dimensions to that. One is there's the the sort of cultural piece. For us, the Asia-Pacific region goes from Korea and Japan in the northeast to India in the west and Australia and New Zealand in the southeast. There's very significant cultural differences um, in dealing with those people. So actually learning to adjust and understand the working styles that they're comfortable with and and working with that Mm -hmm. has been one area. The second is also just the way that people's expectations have changed over the last sort of 20 years and particularly with COVID. I think I spend a lot more time now talking to my people in order to help them do their jobs more effectively and frankly worrying less about the job that I'm doing. So much more about what I do these days is actually trying to help other people to do their jobs by clearing obstacles or helping them to sort of think through a problem. And so I think one of the things that has certainly changed is that 
in leadership roles, you have to spend a lot more time with your people and a lot more time trying to help them to be more effective. And frankly, that helps you because you can't do it all yourself. You will achieve so much more if you can unleash the energy and talent mm. and capacity mm. in your staff uh, than trying to do How things yourself. How do you do yourself. that, though? Because you've got 10,000 people on a night, Frank. Do well, you, I, don't, I don't deal with all 10,000 of them. Uh-huh. But I have, a, I have a team of about 30. That's the Asia-Pacific team that I work with closely. Um, they're a fantastic team. They work incredibly hard. They've all got responsibilities to help drive our business across the region. And they do a great job, but I do spend a lot of time with them, helping them to work out how best to tackle an issue with mm. a particular service line or a particular country or a particular client, etc. We are in conversation with Kevin Couple, Managing Director for Night Frank Asia Pacific this morning on Mind Your Business. Kevin, looking back, what would you say are the biggest sacrifices you've made to be where you are today? There's quite a few. It's long hours. I I often say that working in a global business is great fun until you're the global bit. Um, (laughs) So uh, I do, um, I have a lot of late night calls. I sit on our global board. So when board meetings, they're based on London time, which is where our headquarters is. And and I typically don't finish till 11 o'clock at night. And before COVID, I was away probably 100 nights a year traveling. But also the the other sacrifice is really for my children. I have three children in their 20s. We moved, my wife and I moved up here with my youngest about nine years ago. So for the older two who stayed Mm -hmm. in Sydney, where I'm from, Mm -hmm. uh, they really were forced to grow up very quickly because they didn't Mm -hmm. have their parents around. And then uh, our youngest one who came here and finished his schooling here, he left when he was 18. So really, since my kids have been late teenagers, they, they haven't had their parents around on a regular basis. Now, I have a great relationship with them. I speak to them almost every day. We've just been on a holiday to the US together. But still, it's not the same as actually being around to um, to help them every day. So uh, I think the big sacrifices have really been borne by my family, so my wife and my children. Well, I'm sure amidst all of that, there must be something that's you know still keeping you going. So what is the most rewarding thing about what you do? Well, I often say to my children that interesting jobs don't come in nine to five packages. Um, and I sincerely believe that. So if you want an interesting job, you're going to have to work hard and you're going to have to be flexible. And that's what really drives me on is I have a really interesting role. I mean, every day something happens that I've never seen before mm. and um, trying to work out how to, how to deal with it. And I have terrific people around me and I really enjoy the opportunity to be working in what is the most exciting region in the world. Yeah, I'm just imagining that journey going through so many challenges. It must have shaped you somehow. You know, thinking back, were there times where there was so much pressure, you were thinking, hey, maybe I should just throw in the towel. What did you take away from those moments? One of the nice things I think about Night Frank is actually you don't feel like you're on this, you're in this on your own and you always have people around you. I've been very fortunate that I report to what we call the senior partner, which is the effectively like our global CEO. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had two, they've all been hugely supportive. So when I've run into issues that I thought, oh, this is a bit tricky, they've been very much available to sort of talk through the issues and, and help advise me. So I can't say there've been too many issues where I've thought that I should throw in the tab. But there's certainly been lots of issues where I thought, oh, I better get some help here and talk to some people and just bounce ideas around and work out what's the best approach. 
All right, before we let you go very quickly, in a few words, what would you say to your younger self? Well, what I say to my younger self is um, probably don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. Um, really do focus on the big issues. And the second is that I think it's really important to feel like you are in control of your destiny. So um, one of my mottos is don't be a victim and to actually make sure that in every situation I think, okay, what do I want to achieve from this and how do I actually start to make that happen? So th- they would be the two things I would, I would say to myself. It is really all about the journey. It's not about the end point. It's actually about how you get there. Great positive advice this Monday morning. Thank you for sharing that with us, for sharing your journey with us. Kevin Koppel, Managing Director for Knight Frank Asia Pacific. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.